The llama is back. Am I the llama? High resolution color graphics. This land of high technology. The revolution in technology that made the information age possible. Those kids are not afraid of computers. Winamp gets whipped. Eyes are finer dos. And Clash of the Spectrum games. All this and more coming up in This Week in Retro, right now. Up to date news for out of date tech. Hello, chaps. Welcome to another episode of This Week in Retro. We have a familiar face with us. It's Mark from Mark Fixes Stuff, who's been here before, but I wasn't here, so it's nice to get a chance to hang out with you today, Mark. Yeah, it's nice to be here on a day you're not skiving off, Neil. Very nice. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, how's your week been, Mark? Let's start with you. What have you been up to? Well, you know, I've been doing a few things. I have been um, working on my glass Amiga case. Here you go. I'm trying to get this thing to Oh, yes. So this together. was a, a, a crystal clear Amiga case for people who are listening. Um, you got it from PCBWay. Not, a, not an advertising slot. We're shoehorning in there. You, you, no. you worked with them to get this crystal clear Amiga 600 case. And from what I've seen so far of it, it looks pretty spot on. It looks pretty spot on, but there's a varnish around the side that changes the dimension somewhat. So there's going to be a bit of finagling to get it to go together. So, uh, yeah, I've been working on that. Um, and, you know, just generally sitting around the house in the shorts, watching daytime TV, you know, the usual glorious life of a YouTuber. Well, <laughs> oh, yes, it's just yeah. like that, yes. <laughs> so, going to work as well, of course. <laughs> yeah. Look out for that finagling, good word, on Mark's channel soon with his Amiga 600. Um this week, in fact, by the time this show goes out, I've got an exciting little announcement for you. We've been working with Heber um, to come up with a Heber. new product. It's Ooh. not Heber, it's Heber. Heber, that's so Heber. You remember Heber made the multi-system for that, for that Mr. console. Uh, they've come up with a super low latency joystick device, which is called Ooh. the Control Dock. Uh, the first one is the Control Dock Classic SE. Yeah. Um, and that one is uh, supporting Neo Geo controllers, D D9 devices, but not just digital, also analog devices and multiple Ooh. ones. So you can have your Amiga joystick and mouse, Atari joystick and mouse, paddles with multiple sensitivity settings, loads of stuff like that. So I'll put a link in the, in the show notes. I'll get my own video up soon about it, but I'm excited about it because it's a product that I want. I've got, yeah. you know, I've got various adapters, but they don't support analog or they're not very Ooh, quick. Yeah. So it's nice to have one that's, spot on yeah um, yeah i've got one actually i've got one in the house yeah and i've been using it to play secondoid with two arcader joysticks mm. uh, secondoid is, is a it's got the kind of one joystick to move and one joystick to fire uh, from hoffman so it, it works great for that no. A twin stick shooter, a la Robotron. Twin stick shooter was was what what the what the words I I couldn't remember to say were yes. Yeah. <laughs> and what's nice is with digital sticks, we managed to get the latency down. The lowest I've seen so far is 0.7 milliseconds, which is wow. pretty quick. Oh, there's um, going to be outrage. There's going to be outrage amongst the forty somethings with their lightning reaction. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, tell us about your week. What have you been doing down under? Not that much this week besides work. Week before, brought together a project that I've been sort of planning and trying to get the stuff together for a long time. And actually, I have Dave to thank uh, because he helped me with some of the software that I needed. But basically, comparing an A1200 to essentially a 386 mimicking the exact same 386 I had back in the day. So that was basically just me experimenting with an alternative timeline. Would I have been happy with an A1200? So it was a really fun rabbit hole to go down, I must say. But yeah, that's what I've been doing. 
Nice. You do seem to revisit this quite a lot, recreating experiences of mm. of old and then going down the alternative timeline. That's a nice thing to do because <laughs> it makes all of your videos so personal. Oh, you thanks. know, you're just you're you're just recalling all of those memories and you know, it makes it very warm and nice to watch. Wait, wait for an um, up and coming Spectrum one where I unfortunately relive having to try and reload a Spectrum tape about 10 times before the damn thing actually loads. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. There's some bits of nostalgia that shouldn't be revisited. That's an authentic experience, though. Chris. It's true. It's an authentic it's true. experience. Yeah. Our tape loading error. Yeah. Dave, Dave uh, do you have a weekly update or did you want to go straight into your housekeeping this week? I feel as if you. Last week was yesterday. Well, time just goes too fast. I've done nothing <laughs> this week. Um, <clears throat> I think I'm no to enemy, so let's go into housekeeping. Let's go. Into the wonderful. Into the wonderful. Um, I'd like to welcome six new patrons, including six. our 50th patron. Six, I know. Including our 50th patron, Mike. Uh, also, Mr. Lutch. Fat boy, Brian, Stephen with a PH, and Stephen with a V. Um, thank you very much for signing up. Thank um, you, everyone. It, it really does make a difference. You can sign up if you'd like to at www.patreon.com slash thisweekinretro. Um, and we've also had a review, so thank you very much to Rude316, who said, if you're even vaguely into retro or vintage computer scene, I cannot recommend this podcast enough. I'm a pretty casual collector of old systems and games, but I have learned so much about so many sides of retro computing systems, games, tips, and more. It's such a friendly, relaxing thing to listen to every Saturday morning, and the guys have a great chemistry. Long may it continue. What a nice thing to see. Thank you very much. Yeah, I mean, obviously, he listened to the one that I was on. So uh, <laughs> I'll take all the credit for that. <laughs> Have to assume that because every other episode has been rubbish. Yeah. <laughs> Winamp gets whipped. So Winamp has to be one of our most fondly remembered apps ever made. Uh, a no-nonsense media player with a user interface designed to look kind of like a hi-fi stack system. Um, we used it to play music. And for many of us, it was the perfect companion to our newly built library of downloaded or maybe ripped MP3 files at the time. Perhaps using Winamp for you went hand in hand with running Napster um, and leeching all of those music files and discovering music. Or maybe you diligently put every CD that you owned into the computer and ripped a library of your own, thinking that you'd never need a CD again, only to take up vinyl record collecting 20 years later. Well, I'm talking about Winamp as if it's dead, but not so. Not so on two fronts, according to an article shared by listener Squelch411. This article was written by uh, Thomas McCauley on thenextweb.com. On the one hand, apparently Winamp is still used by 83 million people. Do any of you guys still use it? No. No? Nope. Shaking heads? No? Okay. And on the other... It's just been relaunched. Yes, Winamp is back. Now, we did mention this many episodes ago that there were plans to relaunch Winamp. I think it was the topic of one of our stories. Well, here we are. It's, it's happened. Um, so for some, you know, it never went away. For others, it's back. And I think that applies to all four of us. It is back. Having originally been sold for $80 million in 1999 to AOL, Remember them? Yeah. Uh, it was sold on again to Radionomy in 2013. So I don't think AOL got the return on their investment that they were perhaps expecting, as so has happened with so many uh, 
things that were bought off the internet in the 90s. Various people have uh, tried to revive the brand, and the latest attempt means that it's no longer a standalone app that we remember. Doesn't look like a hyphen anymore. It, it's web based, of course. So I signed up today to have a little look at it and see what it was like. So let's give it a chance. You register for an account at winamp.com. It immediately feels familiar, but not familiar like Winamp. Um, familiar kind of like MySpace, if oh. I'm honest. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> felt mm -hmm. a bit MySpacey. Felt a bit like Deezer, if you've ever been on the website Deezer. Yes. Uh, in its color scheme. And then once you're in, you have to build a page of creators. So by default, you're following DJ Mike Lama. Do you remember him? Mm -hmm. Yeah, when you opened Winamp originally, it said it. Winamp, it really. The llamas. Yeah. Um, the llamas. And the artist of that MP3 file was DJ Mike Lama. So he's there. You're automatically following him. He's like um, Tom. Tom. Yeah, he's yeah. like Tom from Tom. MySpace. <laughs> and MySpace then Tom. what a creator can do on Winamp is post blogs, albums, and subscription tiers. You can subscribe oh. to a creator for perks. All pretty simple. So I went hunting around for artists. Big sigh from Dave there. Um, hunting around for creators to listen to. And I've got to say, this isn't taking off, lads. Uh, you can drill down to regions. So I drilled down to the UK. I found eight artists in the whole of the UK. Oh. And some of them, you can listen to tunes. Some of them, you can't listen to a single tune from them unless you take out their subscription. Come which on. in many cases is five euros a month. So I can't even get a flavor of what their music is like at first. I guess maybe you would have had to have discovered them on YouTube or some other service, and then you come and subscribe to them here. So on the one hand, I want to see artists supported, but on the other, how much music can I actually listen to at five euros per subscription <laughs> to listen to artists? Um, doesn't quite add up in my head how this is supposed to work. However, let's push on. There's also podcasts in there. Plenty of familiar ones, but that's pretty easy. That's just pulling RSS feeds. So that's low-hanging fruit for Winamp. Uh, and likewise, there's radio stations as well. In fact, that's the one feature that I found myself using, popping the radio on in the background while I did some work. Hardly groundbreaking and something you could do in old Winamp anyway, as well as podcasts. I'm pretty sure you could just open an RSS feed in Winamp. You could put all kinds of links into Winamp and open it across the internet, internet radio and all the rest. So um, I guess that side of things worked nicely but i am desperately scrabbling for some positives here mm. um, from my experience of using it but it gets better i explored the options further further and i saw the words that we all dread when a cherished brand is revived coming soon nfts <laughs> oh. <laughs> so that's a new winamp guys have you tried it what do you make of it chris no, I haven't tried it, and nothing that you've just described excites me at all. I mean, I used Winamp back in the day. We've discussed that before. Um, but it, it seriously isn't something I found find myself pining for at all. You know, yes, we enjoyed the visual, visualizations, but then Media Player actually followed suit with that pretty quick, and that actually became, dare I say, good. You know, after after they saw people swapping to Winamp, Media Player became acceptable. Um, so in the modern day, for myself, I'm team Spotify. I hate to say it, you know, and why would I look for another platform? And this to me is like, and I say this as an Amiga user and fan as we know, but it's like trying to revive Amiga OS and using it instead of Windows just because nostalgia. There's no point for me. So, yeah, that's my take on it. It's like an Atari-style rebrand, isn't it? Somebody's come along and said, oh, look, this is vaguely reminiscent to a certain sector of people. Let's buy that name and slap it on a completely unrelated product and then try and shoehorn 
shoehorn that IP into people's lives. Um, you know, I like to support independent artists. I like to go and see bands that perhaps aren't signed. And I do actually support a couple of bands on things like Bandcamp. Um, but those artists are also on Spotify, and I can go and listen to their music. Um, and when you are a creator, you need to be where the audience is. And if there is a barrier to a platform, listening to that artist of paying five euros a month, well, then it's not going to happen. You know, um, yeah, I mean, I used Winamp back in the day, pre-AOL acquisition. And don't forget, that was one of the only real ways to listen to some sorts of physical digital music back then. So, um, you know, you've got, you've got to frame it through that reference. That's why it's remembered fondly. But I've got to be honest, it's filling a niche that doesn't exist anymore now. You know, I mean, and, did, it, did, did it ever exist? Did this, this, the, this approach, would it have ever worked? You know, is it 20 years too late or would it never have worked? I don't think it would have ever have worked. I mean, if you could have offered this back when Winamp was out, then sure, yeah, it would have been great, but that's impossible. That's like saying, well, you know, imagine a PlayStation 2 back in 1987. It's, it's not going to happen. Um, and, and to be honest, I've, I've spoken about Winamp and it whips the llama's ass and all that with even sort of fellow old heads, and some people simply don't remember it. So I'm not sure that that nostalgia cloud necessarily envelops everybody of a certain age. So I feel like it's doomed. That's really? a good point, actually. I think I think there's probably a convergence of a time and place with Winamp when if, for example, you were a teenager or a later teenager and you were just discovering music and you were just figuring out your tastes and you were exploring lots of music, then Winamp was essential. But maybe you weren't in that place at the time. Definitely. I mean, for me, um, I used it to access internet radio, so some of the American rock and metal stations that you didn't get in the UK. Um, and that was that was its primary focus for me so it, w it was a gateway to stuff that i couldn't hear elsewhere but you know that just changed so rapidly i mean that even changed within aol and that's why i think they got rid of it in the end because they just built it into aol so there you go that's my take and it's not a good one fellas sorry dave i don't think this is going to be positive give us both barrels no. <clears throat> I mean, I think it's garbage. It's the same thing that we see again and again in the modern world. How do we, how do we take something that people love and then slap some modern nonsense over the top of it? And in this case, it's let's get people to pay subscriptions for music um, to individual artists um, while using the fond memories of the MP3 player and really without detracting from the original Winamp, which which was great. The fond memories we have are probably more to do with the music and suddenly being able to discover loads of different music by downloading it on the internet where we didn't quite have that before. So maybe we're trying to grab that a nostalgia for that rather than the Winamp itself, Neil. Yeah, and just simple things like being able to go out with your whole library of music. You know, that was new at the time. It's just all these things are wrapped up in the whole MP3 movement. Um, it was it was a time and a place that if you didn't experience it, I'm not saying you can't understand it. I'm just saying there were a, a lot of excited feelings involved in that whole thing. Yeah, yeah. So let, let's not forget what was good about Winamp. It worked really well. It was clean and neat and fast. It wasn't laggy. It didn't have loads of support libraries. It didn't rely on all sorts of other things you need to have in the background and logins and all the rest of it. And this doesn't feel anything like it at all. 
Uh, but maybe we just need to forget the modern scammy feeling iteration of something that we loved and not let it ruin the, the, the original thing that we do like. Yeah, and here's the thing. Um, there are some apps that, that just don't need to change beyond security updates, compatibility, and bug fixes. And Winamp, Winamp does feel like one of those programs, as you just said, and it's still available. You can, From winamp.com, you don't have to sign up for this service. You can still find the old app. You can download it. You can install it. And that dependable old friend is still there. Um, it, I installed it today. I haven't used it for decades. So after using the online experience, I downloaded the standalone installer, got it installed, and um, it was exactly as I remembered. Although I did have to put it in the double pixel mode on my 4K monitor to make it at all usable because it was tiny. It was so hard to see. So some, you know, I'm already thinking, can we have some more scaling options? But surely they're not going to update this version of it with their new online version. But then that's what happened thinking back other players came along that mimicked Winamp. I'm trying to, can you remember, was it, I'm trying to remember the name of the one that got really popular. Anyone, any ideas, throw any names Fubar? out there? Maybe Fubar. Yeah. Was it Fubar mm. 2000 or something like Fubar that? Fubar 2000 was when I moved to it. It was great. So powerful. Yeah. So that kind of carried the torch for Winamp onwards, but it is still there. You can still download it. And I did that today and I started listening to some radio stations just like I did in the old days with the classic skin. But I did spot something, even in the classic app, when you go to your playlists and you start looking at the radio stations at the bottom of the list there, NFT library. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so there, there you go. Ignoring that, I am having some time, uh, some good times just enjoying the classic Winamp back on my PC. Uh, it's back on the list of reliable apps, although I may try FUBAR 2000 to replace it now that, that we've figured out the name of it. But it's up there with 7-Zip. It's up there with Classic Shell as those apps that I will probably use forever and hopefully never need to change. So in one iteration or another, long live Winamp. We are sponsored. Thank you very much to Pixel Addict Magazine. It's a new month and what that means is six weeks have passed so it's a new month and there's a new issue of pixel addict out i believe by the time this episode comes out you'll be able to buy it um this month is a pc special which suits me and there's a great front cover of an ibm style crt with uh, sort of prince of persia and duke 3d running on it um, I've had a flick through, I've not had a chance to sit there and read it, but a flick through is a Tony Warner Q&A interview. So that's following on from last month's Broken Sword stuff. And there is something on Open TTD, which is Open Transport Tycoon Deluxe. Ooh, nice. Yeah, I know, Neil. That's, that's right One up of my favourites. And also Tony's um, probably promoting his book in there, Revolution, which is about his time at Revolution Software. Um, and I also noticed on the cover is something called the Lambda 8300. Have you spotted that? It's a Chinese ZX Spectrum clone, and just by pure coincidence, one arrived in the cave last week. Ooh, so, well, that's nice. There we go. Got one of those. Yeah. Mark, what's your favourite article from this new edition? I've not read it. <laughs> <laughs> At least he's honest. At least he's honest. Uh, uh, you assume I can read. That's ableist. So I saw an article recently just saying that the last two magazines from back in the day have now been discontinued in america so the last mm. ever old you know retro vintage i guess is the word i'm looking for the last ever vintage computer magazines are no longer on sale in america and it yeah. takes magazines like this now to, to fill the vacuum because there is still a demand for this kind of thing i think chris i believe railway modeler is still going so there you go 
railway. Oh, I did see. I saw on eBay you can buy a complete set of Carp magazine, Carp Monthly, (laughs) and there must have been about eight hundred issues. This was a huge eBay auction. Anyway, I don't know how we've got from Pixel Addict to Carp Magazine. Mark, why don't you um, why don't you share with everyone the web address to go and find out more about Pixel Addict, Mark? Ooh, where is it? (laughs) (laughs) Pixel.addict.media. Repeat after Dave, Mark. Pixel.addict.media. Perfect. Click to get your fix. You can you can buy it in your local news agent. You can order it online to be delivered to your house, or you can buy PDF copies. It is a good read. Unlike us, it's very professional. In the first IBM PCs, an ISA, ISA, Industry Standard Architecture was created, which was an expansion slot. And then later, it turned from 8-bit to 16-bit. And they stayed with us until right around the Pentium 2 era, at the, start, at the end of the 1990s, where they, they, they quickly declined and disappeared. And after the Pentium 3, around that period, you would find it difficult to get an ISA card into your PC. Now, it's not generally a bad thing because they were a, too slow of a system bus for most things. They went out of date, but they were super important for one reason. And if you're a DOS enthusiast or if you've listened to me rabbiting on about it, um, in the past, then it's sound cards. You need an ISA card, an ISA slot for a proper DOS sound card to work best. And if you want to build a really, really cheap hardware DOS machine, then the ISA slot is the thing that you'll probably find is the thing that's in your way. Because without an ISA slot, you can get something for absolutely buttons off eBay. You get something that's pretty much e-waste if you don't have the ISA slot to get. But if you do have the ISA slot, you're a little bit more restricted in what you get. Now, thanks to Derek Flamelily for submitting this story, and it's someone we have talked about before as a fellow Scot um, who has our YouTube channel, The Rastery, and he does lots of, of fun projects, and being practical isn't always his top priority. He does it because he wants to, because they're interesting, and because it can be done. But I would argue that everything he's done has a purpose, and they're all great. And it turns out that the ISA bus is still present, although without a slot in modern boards, of course, but it's still there in the architecture. Now, it might not be particularly useful um, for anything, but it's still there for various different little things that the computer does in the background. And he found out that you can access it through various different vias on a motherboard, but if you use the TPM slot, the Trusted Platform Module slot, then on most boards you can access all of the ISA pins through this, which enabled him to build an adapter to plug an ISA sound card into a modern PC. That must have been a eureka moment for him when he was sort of sussing out all the vias, going, how can I patch in an ISA adapter? Yeah. Oh, well, they all go to this slot anyway. <laughs> that must yeah. have been brilliant. Yeah. yeah, so it's a little pin header that you put the trusted platform mo- uh, module in. You need it for Windows 11, for example, but you can expose the ISA bus there. And he's done it. He's done it. He's made this adapter that you can plug an ISA card in and it works. Now, it might not be particularly usable. In fact, 
I think you might manage one or two edge cases perhaps if you're using a high resolution on a build engine game so that's like blood or redneck rampage or something like that if you're using a really high resolution it hammers the cpu so perhaps there's a justification to get a higher um to get a, a faster cpu in there with an ISA, a, a, an ISA sound card but realistically since you can only use it in dos games and dos gaming didn't need the fastest pentium 3 around going to the hassle of adding it to a more modern board isn't really that wise and also um by the time you've saved the money on getting your your 15 quid e-waste board to do this too but by the time you've added that onto it it's probably easier just to get a pentium 2 or a pentium 3 board um maybe at a stretch you would want to have a machine that can run and really run windows xp really well um and also be able to have an ISA, an ISA sound card in there. Maybe there's a stretch for that. I, I don't know, uh, but it's a stretch. And he's called the project. He's added a D and appointment to the end of ISA, and he's called it the disappointment. So I think he's probably well aware of this already, uh, but it is really cool. Neil, what do you think of it? And do you think there's any projects that are, um, that are, that are tough to justify, but they are still super cool and you'd want to do them anyway? What do you think? Well, um, it reminds me of, I think, around about 2017, 2018, I tried a PCI Express to PCI adapter. Mm. No? Yes, that was the way yeah. around it was. And I had mixed results. I mean, the main problem I ran into was that even when I did get it working, you were lacking any drivers for your legacy cards on a modern OS. Uh, and and that, that was just me putting an adapter in. That wasn't me trying to trace wires and create a custom loom or anything like that. It was just slapping in a cheap PCI Express to PCI adapter, which um, when I look back on it, had some very shoddy soldering on it, even off the shelf. It was, it was cheap. It was nasty and it was cheap. So um, I didn't find much use for it. I think the, the furthest I got it working was firing up Linux and getting a sound card working through, through Linux. Uh, it was tricky in Windows, but that's not what he's doing here. He's installed DOS and he's trying to create a retro machine um, with a Pentium 3, I think you said. So he's not trying to use an ISA video card. And notice I said ISA, Dave, ISA video card in Windows 11. ISA. So I think you're right, Dave. It, it's not particularly useful, but anyone who's asking the question why is forgetting the joy that comes from poking around and just trying things out for the sheer pleasure of it and setting yourself problems that you want to challenge yourself to overcome. And that was really nice to watch this unfold in the video. So I've got no criticisms whatsoever, really, despite the outcome of this. And I guess one use case that you could come up with this um, is to house, uh, house the adapter in a 3d printed case because it's separate from the main board so if you could have it external to your pc case you could have it as a nice little isa device tester can you just slot things in take them out it's a good use i mean it wouldn't be it wouldn't be hot swappable but you could pop things in and see if they still work that would be useful is there really a need for this i mean honestly yeah. is there really a need for this with old pcs sort of still in abundance i mean no i know what you're saying about when you put it on ebay there's a, there's a tax for the ISA slot. And notice I said ISA there, Dave, not ISA. Um, but to be honest, I mean, there's still loads out there. If you go if you go on sort of FreeCycle or Freegal, there's loads of people saying, oh, I found this in my shed. You can have it for now. And they're Pentium 2s and below. So, But I'm not one to dash innovation. Um, I mean, sometimes you should just do things because you can. And I do love a bit of blue sky thinking. Um, I think... Rather than a product, this is more of a 
hey guys, look what I found out, you know, and that's brilliant. It's absolutely great. And I applaud it. Will I be using it? It's probably a hard pass from me when there's easier options. But, you know, kudos to Derek for this. It's pretty mental and out there. It is one of those YouTube videos where you think, I'm watching this so that I don't have to do it. Someone else has done it and I can just enjoy their journey in doing it. Yep. Yeah. So true. I think we're all on the same page here. I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a great niche idea and I love it. I love that it existed and it's been done and he's found a way to do it. Um, I must confess, when I first watched it, I was expecting something that was kind of more plug and play, whereas you're seeing patching wires here, there and everywhere and getting different signals from different places on the board, I'm like, yeah, that's not the level of hobbyist I would bother to become at ever point at, at any point. Um, but I mean, I, I personally haven't, this is where I say we're all on the same page. I haven't found it hard to get a machine with an ISA slot, ISA. Um, and, um, you know, so the 386 I've been tinkering about with, granted, I did get that at mate's rates, um, but it really wasn't expensive. And even if it wasn't at mate's rates, it wouldn't have been much more expensive. Um, probably because it's a 386, not a 486. Obviously, a 486 is the DOS machine most people go for. Um, I'm pretty sure the slot um, one build that I've got, which is a Pentium 3 era board waiting for me back in the UK, which is one of my original machines, I'm pretty sure that's got two ISO slots in it as well. But by that period, you kind of they were there, but you didn't want to use them. You wanted everything yep, to be PC, uh, PCI, um, and if it was yeah. on the board, AGP for graphics. So yes, it was there, but it was only because of legacy. So again, the project is interesting. It's fantastic. Well done for figuring out it can be done. Not something I'll be doing. Yeah. Yeah. As for myself, I think that even things like continuing to use discs instead of Gotex. It's along the same lines. You don't need to. There's no real justification for it. Or when I eventually do build my C64 and Amiga using the, the PCBs I've got, there's no real reason for them. In fact, there's no real reason to use real hardware at all. Uh, emulation does the job just fine. It's only because you want to use it that you do it. Neil, Chris, have I, have I, have I, have I hit your... Well, I was I just thinking, you know, you wouldn't tile a wall with Gotex. That's true. No, that's a good point. It's <laughs> no, a very good point. point. You wouldn't tile a wall with working discs. <laughs> true, true. Chris? Yeah, no, one thing I did want to say, and the only reason I didn't say it was because I forgot to scroll to the next page of the notes, um, but it is relevant here, is what I do like about this project is it's finding use of old ports on a mother modern motherboard, and that actually does float my boat. So on the PC I'm using right now to record this podcast, when I originally bought it, I, I'd noticed that it had uh, an LPT and COM header. Yeah. And straight away, I went and grabbed, you know, um, from one of the local PCs, yep. no, off eBay, um, cool. uh, so that I could actually have those ports on the back of my machine. And this machine right now is genuinely plugged directly into the back of my A500 for reasons via an RS-232 cable, <laughs> because I can, you know, no USB adapters, none of that, genuine COM header, Straight, and if I wanted to, I could plug in an old dot matrix to this PC because of the LPT header. Fantastic, love that kind of stuff. Sorry, just didn't want to forget to say that. No, I, I, and you're right. It's um, I, I also like the idea that there's hidden secrets in our hardware that you can you can peel away and find an, an old thing that that shouldn't be there anymore. But the whole point of this is is not um, not because it needed done. It's because it could be done. So it's it's a great video to watch for entertainment. It's not a huge amount of point to it, although maybe someone will, will, will think it's what they need to do. Um, but give it a watch. 
uh, and only you can be the judge of what is worthwhile doing. So one of my favorite YouTube channels at the moment, ironically, is is um, not one of the you know YouTube retro guys that we're all into. It's actually yeah. the BBC. I'm sorry, Neil. It's not you. It's not Mark. It's After not even I said me. such nice things about your I know. channel. I'm sorry. No, but it's the BBC archive, right? And they, they just drop such fantastic clips. And that is part of the nostalgia journey. Uh, this particular clip was shared by Reading Glasses Man. And the clip is from a show called Saturday Superstore, originally broadcast on the 3rd of March, 1984. In it, Sarah Green, who is a presenter I do actually recall from back in the day, and she's joined by three very young video game reviewers, Dominic, Duncan, and Cassie, who are tasked with reviewing and rating top-selling games and one new release as well to see if they're actually any good. So the games reviewed, they're all reviewed on the ZX Spectrum just to keep things even, as they explain in this in this article, in this piece. And they, they basically cover Manic Miner, A Tick Attack, and Ant Attack. Uh, and Bear Bother is the new re- release that they also cover as well. Bear Bother. Bear Bother. Bear Bother. Bear Bother. Bear Bother. That's right. Yeah. Good job I'm from England, otherwise I wouldn't understand that at all. <laughs> Bother. <laughs> It's actually riveting viewing for me anyway um, because uh, it's something I've not really touched on in this nostalgia trip, but it's not just about being transported back to my childhood and back to the 80s and 90s, but because I've moved to a different country, it is about being transported back to where I came from, which yeah is, is very special to me. Um, and the games covered hold plenty of memories as well, um, even if, you know, for many of us as well, even if not all of them you may have played on the ZX Spectrum. Um, and I also see this clip as a classic example uh, example of don't work with animals or children, <laughs> but in a charming way, um, as the youngsters, probably friends of the BBC cast or crew, really do do try their best to be on the telly, but it's it's really not perfect. But with all that said, what struck me about this TV clip from 1984 is how young the kids look. They don't even look old enough to have their grubby little hands on a ZX Spectrum. Um, so, guys, your game picks from 1984, um, any platform, what would you go for? I've just had a thought there on the age of them. Is it because gaming was definitely for kids and only for kids mm. at that point in the 80s, and it's taken a long time for adults now to be able to game without judgment? Anyway, mm. Um and is it I would, controversial? I, sorry, I would jump in and say yes and yes and no. I think more so in the UK microcomputer scene, less so perhaps in the US scene where it was far more expensive to get an Apple II or a Pet yeah. or something like that. Yeah. But there were games on those systems. So yeah. I think there's probably going to be quite a lot of regional variation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and is it controversial of me to say that I prefer the footage on that recorded thing on YouTube that's kind of VHS quality of the videoed CRTs rather than I do a nice clean feed on a, on a flat screen monitor. Mark? Yeah, it's not controversial if you say you prefer watching it, but it's controversial if you prefer filming it because it's not easy. So oh, no. back then, matching that yeah. frame rate without digital technology, I was looking at that, I was a god. What an absolute, absolute stunning job they did. And also, 
lighting the scene without getting reflections on the CRT. <clears throat> it's just the worst. You know, I have this great big black sheet that I hang up and sometimes I create a booth around myself, a tent around the yeah. CRT when I record. Mm. Uh, because I agree with Dave, it's nice to get a recording of a CRT rather than just a straight capture. But it's so much easier just to get a straight capture. If you Absolutely. look at the um, the LGR did a fantastic behind the scenes episode where he goes into the detail of the post-production that is involved with filming a CRT. You know, mm -hmm. if you're making money out of your hobby, then good on you. That's fantastic to go have that much time on your hands. But for everybody else, whatever works. Absolutely. Right no time. judgment. So for my favourite or the best game on the spectrum in 1984, it would be Rebel Star Raiders from Julian Gollop. He would then follow up with Chaos, then Rebel Star 1 and 2, then Laser Squad and Lords of Chaos. They were all riffing in the same kind of board game style rule strategy game. And that would, of course, lead us to UFO Enemy Unknown, mm. magic game. Um, Neil? Uh, you just mentioned UFO Enemy Unknown uh, last weekend. I can't remember if I mentioned on last week's show, but somebody dropped in with a box of discs for me, which came from the skip outside Microprose when they were based at mm -hmm. Tetbury in the UK. And one of the discs in there was UFO Enemy Unknown for the Amiga, labelled as the Master Disc, which would go off for duplication. Oh, that's so cool. um, wow. I have that in the collection. And I hope I, I would I would be be fascinated to find out if you've got Laser Squad 2 in there because originally UFO Enemy Unknown was Laser Squad 2. It was being done on the ST and Micropose Micro said go away and make it into a much more in-depth game. Yes. Right. Okay. Um and and Mark, as we have him on the show, I know he has some background in duplication or deduplication, don't you, of, yeah, of floppies. Yeah. And so I may be working with Mark on a future episode. Get the band back together, make a video about that. <laughs> <laughs> and when we talk about duplication of floppies, we don't mean that Mark worked on a market stall selling pirates. <laughs> <laughs> How do you know that? proper duplication. How do you well, know that? I had the means, that's not I what had we mean. the access, and I had the motive. <laughs> <laughs> Going to a market stall and paying two quid for a floppy disk and saying, hang on, this is an original. I paid for a pirate. <laughs> so Gollop's amazing talent was translating tabletop games or tabletop style rules into the home computer. I love that style of game. Um, but of course, the best game of 1984 is Elite on the BBC Micro, and I don't need to explain why. Now, it's great that you mentioned this story, Chris, because I watched an amazing video um, from Rose Tinted Spectrum the other day, and it's due for public release after we record this today. So it will be, it will be there for Saturday, so there'll be a link in the show notes. And what Rosie has done is he asked his viewers for their top spectrum games. He put them through a vote on Twitter, a kind of a knockout system, and he got their top 10, and he put that into a video, and he added a lot of depth into it. And then with the ones that lost, he made his own top 10, and he proposed that his top 10 is better than his viewers. I think he's right, but it's a great video to watch. It's such a balanced top 10 he's come out with. The pair of videos are superb, so Spectrum fans and other people might want to watch that. Well, I mean, going back to 1984, I mean, Sarah Green. Mm. I mean, Sarah Green, come on. I, I, Very knowledgeable, wasn't she? She was yeah, so knowledgeable. I, I she did can't. admit at the start of the clip that she wasn't a gamer, so honest too. I like a bit Knowledgeable, of naivety. Honest. I like I like a bit of naivety in my presenters. I do, you know. 
Um, and That's it's why nice, you're here. Yeah, it's nice to see her on the BBC. <laughs> And um, I could watch that video all day. Um, my game choice, honestly, for nostalgia, no technical anything, would literally just be Jet Set Willy. Uh, it felt like a, it felt like an epic mansion you were actually roaming around in. Um, and I've got this like seemingly false memory that you could get to Hades um, by going down the toilet, and I'm not sure. If that was on somebody else's computer or some different version or a, or a, or a hacked version, but I definitely have that memory. So if anyone can help me out there, let me know. Um, maybe Dave, do you know? I've got the same memory, and I remember trying to do it on the CPC version, and I'm, I'm pretty certain mm. I never got it to happen, the CPC version, but I'm still sure. I'm still sure something happened there, but is it one of these things that was, it's all this false memory that we all share? Are you sure? I feel like I remember something like this. Are you sure it wasn't a glitch where you could go out the right-hand side of the screen or something and end up in Hades rather than down the toilet? Because yeah. down the toilet is where you go when you've completed the game, isn't it? You get all the objects, you go back, and you you dive down the Spoilers. toilet. I'm not entirely sure um, if I'm going off the right-hand side of the screen or down the toilet, Neil, because I'm not entirely sure if I'm even remembering correctly. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I'm afraid, afraid there's no points for accuracy on my side here. Um, but now I'd be interested to know if anybody has any Please more information us. on that. Um, and, um, you know, watching that video, it was brilliant, not just because Sarah Green was on it, um, but I, I think it was probably a more placid time back then. We didn't have sort of um, TikTok that the kids have these days and everything firing off and everything being loud and all music being compressed to get everybody's attention and the adverts coming on louder. Um, because I love the beeper sound from my ZX Spectrum, and um, I actually amplified it by rigging it up to my, I think it was a Seisho-owned brand, was that Curry's Stereo? Don't mm. know. But, um, yeah, so uh, for me, I love watching the video. I love seeing Sarah Green appearing on the BBC, and, um, you know, I could watch a video of that all day long, quite frankly. Well, um, uh, Manic Minor, which is shown in the video, was 1983. Jet Set Willy was 84, wasn't it? Um, so you're asking me to pick an 84 game that you guys haven't already chosen. So Elite is a very strong choice from Dave. Um, <clears throat> Tetris came out in 1984, yep. which prompts me I to ask, that. have you seen the movie yet? Not yet. No, no, no. me neither. No, okay. <laughs> we'll maybe Everybody's get to that. Everybody's talking about it, though. Everybody says it's good. Yeah, but I'm the kind of person where it puts me off if everyone's talking about it. <laughs> I'm like, okay. <laughs> um, so yeah, Tetris. You had Rescue on Fractalus in '84. It's a good game. Paperboy in '84. King's Quest in '84. Um, but as Chris is asking the question, a guaranteed winner: F15 Strike Eagle, Chris, 1984. I didn't have my Amiga back then, and I'm sorry. In the 8-bit era, flight sims just sucked. They, they really did. Bad. Oh, they no, really I thought that was a guaranteed sucked. winner. No. Oh, no. no right. No. Wow. Carry on. Um, <laughs> yeah. So on this video it's, uh, itself, and by the way, if, if anyone wants to watch this video or anything else we've talked about, you'll find the links in the notes, in the show notes. Um, one thing that stood out for me, the kids keep calling levels sheets. Did you notice that? They yeah. call the levels sheets. Oh, Dave's holding up his copy of F15. See, Dave's on my side. Um, there's one child who says he likes it when Dracula drains his blood and the turkey runs out. 
<laughs> that was a, a choice quote. <laughs> he was talking about Attic Attack there. Um, and then the poor kids what have to play... About? Which game? See it again? Attic Attack. Okay. And then um, the poor kids have to play Ant Attack using the Dead Flesh keyboard on the Specky because, as I recall, the game has no joystick support. So no. their fingers are all contorted on the Dead Flesh trying to play the game. And they do complain about the controls. You know, it's not a given that we think back and go, oh, yeah, that's just how it was. And we dealt with it. Oh. No, that was a horrible way to play that game. <laughs> so, um, yeah, they, they complained about that. And it's all filmed in an old electronic store. And I liked looking at the background, looking at how the store was laid out and the signage. And it, it, it offered me some inspiration for some things I, I might like to do in the cave in future. Not right now, because I'm still recovering from the last DIY session. But there was some good inspiration on there. Uh, but also how not to do things. So, for example, some of the scenes, the kids are playing games and they're looking at the TV at like an 80-degree angle, three inches away above them. Did you notice that? Yeah. It does not look comfortable. It looks no. like they're positioned just to get them all in, in shot. shot. <laughs> that doesn't look good at all. But there is some good inspiration to be had, some nice signage that I'd like to recreate. I quite like that. Um, but I would encourage anyone who's listening to this to watch the video because there is just this pure thread, this seam of nostalgia for any British kid who grew up in the 80s, from the presenters to the, um, you know, going down to Tottenham Court Road in London and the and the background in the electronics store and the systems. It's just pure nostalgia, mm. this video. It'll only take five minutes of your time and you'll feel warm and fuzzy for it. And it's got Sarah Green in it. It does Mention indeed. That. Yeah. It does indeed. Did you mean, yeah, we, I think we mentioned that. Back to those grubby-handed little tykes. Uh, what I'd love to know is, did Dominic, Duncan and Cassie continue to play games? Are any of them listening to us now, perhaps? Who knows? Well, Duncan is. Yeah, Duncan. 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 <laughs> I think he's still involved in the retrograde. And maybe Dominic. Who knows? Um, but but I did the calculations, obviously, because they're quite simple ones. And I was 10 in 1984. And yes, my hands were probably equally grubby. And I was possibly just that small and clueless as well myself back then uh, but it's not how i remember it i remember myself as being an expert and anybody younger than me at the time was too young to understand how to play computer games correctly it's an ageist snobbery that's followed me for well probably about 40 years if i'm honest um the outcome of their scoring i guess that's quite important getting, getting back to the point of the video meant that attic attack came out on top and that's an outcome I can get behind, actually, because it's a game I have tons of love and nostalgia for. Uh, probably one of the very first Spectrum games I ever played before I had one myself, and that was on my mate Daniel's ZX Spectrum at his house. The presenter, Sarah Green, is equally confused about how to pronounce Attic Attack or Attic Attack as I am to this day, which made me smile as well. Um, she makes a thing of that. So let's have the discussion here. Let's settle it once and for all, guys. Is it pronounced Attic Attack or Attic nope. Attack? Yes. Attic attack. Attic attack. 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 <laughs> okay, let's go one by one. Yeah. Dave. Attic attack. Mark. Attic attack. Chris. Attic attack. And for me, it's attic attack. So because I think there's one for attic attack and three for attic attack. Right? Interesting. I think I'm in the middle. I, th I think I think no. it's attic attack, but it sounds like both. I think it's meant to sound like both. Maybe. Yeah, but you play Sam and Max, so. Yeah, <laughs> every episode. Yeah, my snares. It's attic Tiga. attack, as in the location within the house. Because the you go into the attic of the house, don't you? Was it, you go, it was, spelt, was it a typo? Was it a typo? No, I think it, I think it was just some kind. It of... It was intentionally doing attic attack as well as attic attack. Mm. It was both. 
Marketing. Nothing Marketing. but the best covered by us this week. <laughs> anyway. what, a fab, what a fabulous cover. What fabulous artwork on that, by oh, the I way. I mean, it's really, you yeah. know, and the loading screen on the Spectrum looks fabulous as well. Um, yeah. Really sort of gave you a sense of dread looking at it. So, But interestingly, the description on the, on the uh, BBC Archive video states the following, and I assume they mean in 1984 because they try and transport you back. What they say is this. Incidentally, the complete inaugural UK video game top 10 is as follows. At number 10, Revenge of the Mutant Camels, Commodore 64. Coming in at number 9, Mr. Wimpy on the Spectrum. Mark's favourite. At number 8, Pole Position on the Atari. Yeah, Atari. Number 7, The Hobbit on the Spectrum. Number 6, Manic Miner, also on the Spectrum. Number five, Fighter Pilot, another one for Neil, also on the ZX Spectrum. <laughs> Number four, Hunchback on the Spectrum. Number three, Ant Attack on the Spectrum. Number two, Attic Attack or Attic Attack on the Spectrum. And number one, it's once again Manic Miner, but this time on the Commodore 64. So we won't allow it because that's an international machine and not as good as a Spectrum. <laughs> All right. <laughs> It's a nice range of games there, and um, I would fathom that anyone who collects has probably got The Hobbit, whether they know about it or not, because yep. it's one of those games where the label always falls off. It's always that unmarked black box that you have in your collection of games. Always, It's always going to be The Hobbit. Yeah, yep. Dave's nodding. Mark? Um, I think it's really nice to see in 1984 the, the massive deep penetration that the Spectrum had in the UK market. I mean, you've got Atari in there. You've got Commodore 64 appearing twice. But look at that, number two, three, four, five, six, seven, and nine are um, Spectrum, even with Mr. Wimpy, which is a terrible Burger Time ripoff, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, the spe- that's the, the that's the appeal of the Spectrum. It, it, um, it came out and people could afford it. There's no way. I mean, before the Spectrum came out, the C64 was expensive. The um, the Atari eight bits were not not cheap either, and the Apple two was was very dear. The BBC was super expensive, and the Spectrum was lovely and cheap. Do we think the the one Atari entry in their pole position? Do we think that's the twenty six hundred? I would guess so. Another system. Ooh, difficult to say. Even mm. by nineteen eighty four, it was a twenty six hundred still going yeah. strong enough to sell that. It was still going. Stop. Yeah. Junior. Mm. Yep. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. I'd, I'd bet that it's on the. Uh, the VCS stroke 2600, yeah. Anyway, links are in the show notes. Do watch that video because it's fantastic. Time now for last week's community question of the week, which you can participate in at reddit.com forward slash r forward slash this week in retro. So last week's question was, what is the newest item of tech that you consider to be retro? And now this was off the back of the question last week of was the PS3 retro? And we had a discussion about that. You can go back and listen to that if you're interested in hearing our opinion. Dave is bouncing up and down. Go on, Dave. Yeah, we had so many replies and comments on Twitter and mm. on uh, YouTube and on the subreddit about the PS3 being retro. So many interesting viewpoints. I think the the basic opinion is, it's not retro for me, but it might be for other people. I think people were, were on the right trail with it. I think mm. they broadly agree. But it's really interesting to read all those comments last week. And I didn't see any nasty comments 
you know, which no. is really nice for such a hot topic. Mm. You normally get a few trolls in the mix, but everyone was just so respectful of one another and just posting their thoughts. It was, it was really nice. So keep that up. Well done. You're a good, <laughs> good audience. Um, so um, Duncan has put a note in here. Um, he says, personally, I have a hard time thinking of anything PS1 or after is retro. So Duncan's going all the way back to, what's that, 1994? Um, I would go later than that. I would, oh, yeah. you know. Yeah. Dreamcast, PS2. Early, early double O's. Yeah. Um, yeah and I'm I think, still... Go on, Mark. I think I'm with Duncan on that, actually, because for me, the PS1 was kind of my first console that I bought as an adult. And it goes back to what we were saying earlier. Mm. Were games just meant for children back in 1984? And I think one of the things to realise is that gaming started kind of when we were young, mm. but there's been a maturation of gaming through the ages. Yes. So whilst there are games for children now... There's also games that have grown with us as the first people in the market. So that's why you've got things like your GTA 5s and games where there's been uproar because of the extreme violence and stuff. And people still who aren't au fait with gaming think that games are just for children. So why does this game exist where you can jump in a hot rod and run people over in the street? And the answer is because I want to do it. <laughs> So um, our top answer comes from Alex McChessers. And uh, Alex says, now that Nintendo have closed the 3DS eShop, it's become retro for me. I bought a good number of games for it when it was a current system, but it's now crossed the piracy morality medium. I like that. The piracy morality medium, uh, where I don't feel bad about installing a custom firmware and downloading ROMs of games I missed, as well as exploring homebrew and emulators on it. As a result, I'm re-engaging with the system and enjoying it again. Besides, I brought it into work the other day and someone said, I haven't seen one of those in a while. Ah. If that doesn't make it retro, then I don't know what does. That's a good answer. Strong that is answer. a very good answer. Yeah. And Generation Pixel came in with a good answer, saying there's only one correct answer to this, and that's all this influx of newly pressed vinyl records. I'm just waiting for one of these newfangled bands to be told you can record Spectrum games on vinyl. And what game would Carly Ray Jepsen, see, I'm <laughs> down with the kids, put on a B-side? A rock star eight mile hamster, perhaps? Well, call me crazy. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that only last year uh, there was a vinyl released as um, it was probably one of the upsells on Fusion Retro's books, one of their books, and it was music from the ZX Spectrum. I think there might have been a ZX Spectrum game on there, so I think it's been done fairly recently. You've got a couple of um, ZX Spectrum uh, vinyls and plexi-discs in the cave, haven't you, Neil? I have. I've got the one from the Thompson Twins, and I've got the one from... Um, uh, Frank Sidebottom, what's his name? Ian uh, Sidley, is Chris, it? No? Chris. Chris Seavey. Um, Chris Seavey. Yeah, yeah, so I've got one from him, which has um, some interesting, pretty basic games on there, but it's it's a fun concept, yeah. Uh, who's going to read the next answer? I think I will, because I like where he's gone with this. So Nemco says, newest item of retro tech, the Amiga Drawbridge. I did get the cable some time ago, but it was only a last in the last few months that I'd gotten the correct floppy drive to install and use it. Why is it retro? It uses a USB floppy drive. The drawbridge rewrites Amiga discs. So two things he sees as retro is the USB floppy drive and the drawbridge. But I'd also say that's retro because that's correct use of the term retro in terms of it's kind of in mm. in the style of something of the past. Yeah. 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 So yeah. 
I like and it. that's a reference to a project by Rob Smith, which I covered on the channel, robsmithdev.co.uk, mm. who also made uh, the retro directory, retro.directory. So Rob's doing some and wonderful things nice. for the community, and yeah. uh, he's a lovely guy to boot. I need one. Any other- he, also made some, he also made some fantastic music. Mm. Um, other... <laughs> Okay, Dave, you got that in there. You sure shoehorned your Robert Smith reference in there. Well done. Um, other answers that stood out include mini disc players from STFM. Um, Tech Made Easy says, how about early iPods? Oz Retrocom, LCD screens with a 4 by 3 aspect ratio. Oh, mm. love me one of them. So useful. Really? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I agree. There's a lot I of answers in here. Um uh washi 7819 talks about xbox 360s and ps3s so coming into that generation pajaco gamecubes and original xboxes are on his limit of retro currently um i think this might be the most answered one we've had in a long time here mm. um uh tasted dimmer there's a lot of numbers in this in this name so i'm sorry um but they say my arcade space invaders mini cabinet <clears throat> runs the original rom has a fantastic reflected screen and backdrop art. So that's a modern thing, but it's retro. Yeah. Running the original ROMs, you know, that's that's open to debate, I guess. So there we go. Thank you, everyone, for taking part in last week's question of the week. And um, Dave, do you want to do this week's question of the week? Yeah. Um, why are all of the other presenters wrong about their pronunciation this week. <laughs> that is not the question of the week. Let's move to Chris. Chris, would you like to do this week's question of the week? Oh, is it taken away from me? Sure. Have, I, yeah. have I ruined it now? Taking it away. Muting Dave now. So this week's question of the week is, what was your favourite childhood snack that you can no longer buy? Ooh. Absolutely nothing to do with retro technology unless you say Space Invaders crisps. Well, you might have um, you might have had snacks when you were playing on your video games as a kid. Leave your answers at reddit.com forward slash r forward slash this week in retro, where you will find the question of the week pinned to the top. You can also submit stories that you might like us to consider for the next episode and just participate in the conversation. And that conversation continues at discord.gg forward slash rmc retro, where we have a dedicated room to the show, or you can just break out into all the other rooms and chat with us all day long. Once again, a huge thank you to, was it Mike who became our 50th patron today? Yes. Thank you so yes. much to Mike and to everyone else who has become a patron of the show. Um, it really is snowballing into a wonderful community, and we appreciate everything that you do in submitting the stories to give us something to talk about every week. And we'll see you next Saturday. Same time next week. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you very much for coming on, Mark. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. 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 This Week in Retro was presented by Neil from RMC The Cave, Chris from 005 Agema, and Dave. It was produced by me, Duncan Styles. The podcast version of the show is available through your favourite podcaster, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And the video version is available on the This Week in Retro YouTube channel. Join our community subreddit at r slash thisweekinretro 
to suggest and vote on the stories we cover on the show. If you watch This Week in Retro on YouTube, please give us a like and subscribe to help us reach new viewers. If you enjoy our show and would like to support it, then please check out the link to our Patreon page in the show notes or description. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time for more up-to-date news for out-of-date tech.